So I want to uh, ask the, uh, the worship team, I, I'm really, you know, I'm kind of bad for this. I, I basically on Wednesday I, or Thursday, I think it was, I asked, Thursday, I think it was, wasn't it? So Thursday I asked Rick, I said, Rick, can we do this song? I keep hearing this, Sing Your Hallelujah. Can you guys pull that off for, for Sunday? And uh, I hope you liked it because you're going to hear it again at the end. And it's going to match my message in just a minute because I'm going to be preaching today on hanging on to God in spite of your hangups. Hanging on to God in spite of your hangups. We've been talking uh, on the last days for the, uh, for the last several uh, months, uh, since about January. And, uh, you know, God has just been uh, taking us on a journey of uh, unfolding what it means to, to be prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. And we've been talking about, uh, you know, when the first time that Jesus came on the scene, uh, that people were, really weren't ready. They weren't expecting the suffering servant to come. And really, God's people, I think the second time he's about to return, we're really not quite expecting and ready for the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, is about to return for his people. And so you and I have to be prepped and ready. The Bible predicts that much of the church will be asleep and not ready for the moment of the return of Jesus. I don't want that said about this church. I want us to be awake, alert, and serving and ready for the return of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus talked about that in the last days, one of the things that would be happening is that terrible things will be going on in the world around you. You know, and then he, he says these, these words in John 16. He says, I told you these things. This one isn't going to come up on your screen so that you may have peace. But in this world, you will have trouble. And that word trouble just means that stirring and turmoil and all kinds of problems are going to be happening. But it's okay. You can learn to hang on to me in the midst of trouble, in the midst of things that are happening in the world. The Bible is very clear that in the last days, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. How many of you are looking at the world going, shake, shake, shake? And you're wondering what is going on. God's saying, you know what? You can find peace in the midst of that. You can find a kingdom that is unshakable in the midst of God shaking the world. And you're saying, why is God shaking the world? He's wanting people to wake up. He's wanting people to see how helplessly broken they are without him. He's wanting people to turn to God. But you know what's going to happen is you're going to see a, div a division beginning to happen more and more. People are going to turn from God or they're going to turn toward God. There's really going to be no middle ground. There's no spiritual Switzerland in the midst of this battle. You're going to pick one side or the other. And that's the time that we're in. And, you know, I just wanted to really answer a question today. How can we hang on to Christ and live in his kingdom and live under his blessing in the midst of a world that has really gone kind of crazy all around us? In this world, we will have trouble. But Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome. You know, and a part of our overcoming is staying connected to Christ in the midst of crisis. Staying connected to Christ in the midst of turmoil. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel distant and disconnected from God. And sometimes when things are going on in my life or around me or circumstances are going around, I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you the truth. I have to fight in order to stay connected to God. There's something in me that wants to drift, that wants to be pulled away by the distractions and the many voices of this world that are constantly pulling at us and trying to get us to turn from our reality of having a relationship with God and living in fear and the turmoil that is surrounding us. 
you know, sometimes I feel like I want God to do this, but I, I'm going to be honest, sometimes my own sin issues, my own unbelief, my own, my own doubt, my own fear at times is fighting and wrestling. And that's why I, I want to talk to you today. And I'm going to challenge you today to begin to understand that you actually qualify to hang on to God even in the midst of your hangups. And this is going to be, you have to learn this, church. What I'm going to be teaching you today, you know, no matter what you go through, and you are going to go through things. Jesus said, you know, in this life, you're going to have trouble, guys. There's going to be stuff going on. There's things going on. But take heart. Take heart. I've overcome all that. And I'm going to give you my peace, even a peace that passes understanding, a peace that does not make sense. So how can you and I hang on to God in a world in, in, in also in the midst of our own hang-ups. Wow. You see, because we sinful, broken, doubting people have to learn to hang on to God. And how do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Father, <laughs> Lord, I'm preaching to the choir here in many ways, but Lord, I also know that every single one of us has places of doubt and fear. Every single one of us has places that we feel disqualified to hang on to you. But Lord, that, that's the very thing that we need to learn can turn our hearts and minds more and more toward you, Lord. God, convince your people today that they have the power to hang on to you even in the midst of their hang-ups, Lord. I pray, God, that they are free from condemnation and fear and darkness and guilt and brokenness and separation and the lies of enemy will, will be shed off of them today. And the power of the Holy Spirit will bind them to your love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen? Amen. So how do we hang on to God despite our hang-ups? Well, turn if you have your Bible to Psalm 24. If not, we're going to bring it up on the screen. If you open up your Bible on your phone, don't answer texts. Don't go and check out what's happening on the sports world. It doesn't really matter anyway. Jesus is coming soon. You might as well just get ready for him. Let the Oilers do what the Oilers are going to do. Who qualifies to hang on to God? Here's our text, Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. The text then says, Selah. And that word means stop, pause, and consider. Stop, pause, and consider. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his presence? If we're living in the last days, how do I learn to hang on to the God, the God that is going to bring me life and life abundant? How do I learn to hang on to him in spite of all the things that are wrong in my life? And so he then he sets out this list of things that call, you know, basically bring our attention to who can come and hang on to God, who can cling to the king. And who is this Jacob generation? If you notice, it ended with 
this call to the Jacob generation to seek the face of God, the generation of those who hang on to God. Well, here it starts off and it gives us the list. It says, a people with clean hands. Clean hands. That's people who are not, you know, that are keeping themselves from the gross acts of sin, that are not spotted by the pollutants of the world. And, uh, you know, this is, this is an interesting picture, and I've used this word picture before, but it, I always think about this guy, you know, you're in, you're in a cafe, you stop in a small town, and this guy, the chef comes out, and he's the cook in the back room, and he's not, he's not got a six o'clock or five o'clock shadow, he hasn't shaved in probably two weeks, and, you know, his, his, he's wearing like a row, like a, a, a apron, and it's all dirty and greasy, and, and he's got, you know, a sh- sleeveless shirt on, and hairy arms, and, and he comes out, and he's got a cigar in his mouth, and, and he's holding the spatula and the, and the pad of paper, you know, and, he, and he, he's got to write down your order, so he sticks the spatula under his armpit. <laughs> Who can serve you in that moment? Are you going to eat there? You're not going to eat there. This is what the Lord is saying. So he who has clean hands. This makes sense to us. We, we, we get the picture. That's the only thing you're ever going to remember from this sermon. But that's okay. You know, so he goes on and he gives us the next thing. You know, the people with pure hearts. People who come out and they have a singular focus. They are not double, double-minded. You know, blessed are the pure in heart, the Bible says, for they will see God. You know, and, and this really goes down to, it starts to test our motives. Like, who are you and I, who are you when no one else is around? You know, do your words in, in, in the presence of people match your, your, your lifestyle when people are not watching? You know, Jesus said this, or the word of God says this, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I think sometimes, you know, God is looking for those who have a pure heart, who are singular in their focus. And so I don't know about you, but as I start to go through this list, just so you know where I'm at, I get a little bit uncomfortable as I'm going through the list. It's not like I'm really excited by this list yet. Because I realize there's places where I have hang-ups, Okay, well, let me go on. Don't, don't, maybe I'm alone. I'm just preaching to myself today. Uh, here we go. And then he says, a people that are idol free, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. To lift up our soul literally means to worship or to put our trust in. That's why Psalm 25, 1 says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And he's saying, don't lift up your soul to an idol. You know, there are things in our life that are good. Listen to me, church. There are things in our life that are good. But how many of you know good things can sometimes turn into idolatrous things if we begin to worship those things? If we begin to lift up our soul to those things? If we begin to trust in those things? Does anybody get what I'm saying here? This is what idolatry is. You can make an idol of a spouse. You can make an idol of a child, parents. You can make an idol of money. You can make an idol of a job. You can, all those things are good. They're God's gifts to you. But how many of you, you can make them an idol. You can put your trust in those things. And, and again, all of a sudden as I'm reading this list, I'm like, well, you know, where, where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my treasure? Where am I putting my talents and my abilities? Is it toward God? Is it what God wants me to do? Or am I just doing my own thing and God is kind of like a little supplement on the side, a little vitamin, a little vitamin J, a little vitamin Jesus, just to make sure I get into heaven. You know, I, I, I'm telling you, this makes me uncomfortable, this list, because I don't feel like I'm measuring up to the list if I can be really happy 
are really truthful with you, not so much happy. People that are idol free. And then he goes on, he says, the people who do not give false testimony. In other words, what I say to God's face, I practice in my, my own lifestyle. You know, I think I, I've said this before. Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. Right? You know, the, you know. Anybody, you've heard me say this before. You know, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to Jesus, I freely give. And, you know, the chorus kicks in, I surrender all. No. No. And I, honest, as God is my witness, I did this one time in church, and I've told you this before. I started singing, 10% to Jesus, I surrender. 10% to Jesus, I freely give. I surrender 10%. Tears streaming down my face. <laughs> I got pulled over by my pastor after that one. I don't know what he was, I don't know what his problem was. I was given 10%, so I thought that was good. Do you understand? Sometimes we sing lies. Sometimes we're not truthful with God. Sometimes we're not truthful in our lives. And, 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 and so the list gets stronger and the lift, list gets longer. And it, it feels like I don't qualify to worship God according to this list. And the problem is that I have a problem and God has a problem. And the problem is this. Sin has caused me not to qualify for the list as it is and to misunderstand God and actually to turn away from him. Hebrews 3 warns us about that. It says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Do you understand that when I sin, when I make a mistake, when I choose Greg Fraser, do you know what sin is? Sin is self-centeredness over God-centeredness. That is the definition of sin. And when I choose Greg Fraser over God, do you understand? My heart shrinks back and wants to run from God. But here's the problem. How do I get free from sin if every time I sin, I want to turn away from God? How do I get free from that sin when God is my only solution? So we're stuck in a little bit of a conundrum here. How do we hang on to God and get his blessing when our hang-ups seem to disqualify us. Well, who really qualifies to hang on to God? It's interesting, the scripture says this is who qualifies the God of Jacob. This calls us the Jacob generation. See, a generation can be a group of people or it can be a time period. So we can qualify as those who are in the Jacob generation that can hang on to God. But Jacob is an interesting guy. How did he do with having a clean hands and a pure heart? Was he idle free and did he not lie? How many of you know there's nothing in the Bible that is not put there incorrectly? Do you know that that scripture could have read, you know, this is what it is, uh, those who can hang on to God and uh, who are idle free, all these things, this is what it'll be, the generation of the God of Israel. Because Jacob's name was changed to Israel. But God puts his old name in there. Jacob. Well, what's Jacob's name mean? It means con man, liar, deceiver, 
surplanter. And you're thinking, well, my name is Jacob. This is freaking me out. Why would my parents call me that? <laughs> I'm not going to say anything else. Just, uh, you got a new name written in heaven, so it's all good. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell you about the original Jacob. Now, the original Jacob, the original Jacob, you all know the story. He lives up to his name. Does he not? I mean, he starts off by his brother comes in from the field, and you know the story. He's got a twin brother named Esau, and uh, Esau happens to be the firstborn because he's, he, you know, he basically gets the little red ribbon tied around his, his wrist because he was the first one to be coming out of the birth canal. And so there's so many blessings that come on the firstborn. There's a firstborn blessing that comes from the father, blesses the son of the firstborn. Also, there's the inheritance of the entire lineage of blessing that comes down upon the firstborn. And so this is a big deal. Esau is the firstborn, but Jacob wants the blessing. So we know the story. He goes on. He, his brother comes in from the field after hunting, and he's famished. He's starving in his own thinking, and his brother has made this bean stew you know, he's kind of the hunter-gatherer, and his brother's the one at home cooking. And, uh, and uh, you know, Jacob is there, and he's made this, this lentil stew, and, he, and his brother Esau says, give me, a, give me some of that. He's like, no. He's like, I'm going to die if you don't give me some of that. He says, give me your firstborn blessing, and I'll give you some stew. And what does he do? Esau, like crazy, in a crazy moment, says, ah, what good is a first burn blessing to me? I'm going to die. Give me the beans. And God sits there and goes, oh, my self. <laughs> that you would give up the blessing of the Lord. That you would give up the blessing of God for some beans. God is not happy. In that moment with Esau, are you following me? But he does. Jacob gets the firstborn blessing for some beans, some lentils. Wow. He deceives his brother into giving that. And then later, not only that, now there's another blessing that comes later, and that's the father's blessing. And so uh, the father's blessing, Isaac is about to bless his sons, but he's gone blind, and he can't really see. So now Jacob, it's not enough that he's stolen his brother's basically lineage, now he wants the firstborn blessing from his father. So he goes, and, he, and it says that Esau was a hairy man. And so he literally, I don't know how he did it, he glues or tapes wool onto his arms. That's how hairy this guy was. I mean, this is scary. So Jacob goes in there, and he tapes, wears some old clothes of his brother Esau. You know, he's putting, like, the, the wool skin so it looks like hairy arms, and he smells like his brother. So his father's a little bit confused. He's like, it smells like Esau, and you feel like Esau, but you don't sound like Esau. You sound like Jacob. Oh, it's me, father. It's me. He's trying to interpret or you know, make sound sound like his brother. And of course, then he, he gets the blessing from his father and robs his brother Esau of that. Terrible, terrible story. So he runs away from his home because his brother is not too happy. His brother is actually waiting for his father to die so he can kill Jacob. That's what the scripture says. As soon as, the, as soon as I'm done grieving the old man, you're dead. Having an older brother, I know what it's like. <laughs> the threats of the older brother are very real. So he flees. 
And you can read the story yourself. He goes to his father-in-law, Laban, who's quite a deceiver himself. And the whole story is this, this twisted story of deception. It's horrible. He, he, he falls in love with Rachel, but he, she has a sister named Leah. And uh, in the midst of confusion, he thinks he's marrying Rachel, and he marries Leah. And he's like, wakes up in the morning, and it's, ah, it's not Rachel laying next to him. It's a story upon stories in the Bible. And then one day he takes off and he's fleeing from his father-in-law, Laban, with now two wives. You can go through the story. He marries Rachel and Leah, takes his wife and kids and all his products. He's fleeing from him and he's running and he finds out his brother Esau finds out he's coming toward him and he mounts 400 mounted soldiers and he's coming at his brother. This is the story. How many of you know this is when you raise a Hallelujah. His brother has been waiting for 14 years to kill this young guy. And now he's fleeing from his father-in-law, coming toward him. And this is where we pick up our story. I want you to understand, church, here we go. Jacob, the founder of the Jacob generation, fell down on every single qualification in order to have a right to hang on to God. Let's read the story, Genesis 32. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and 11 sons and crossed the ford of, the, of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, so uh, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said to him, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled or struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. In your life, church, what are you wrestling with today? What are you wrestling with? What are you facing in your life? What's the challenge that's gripping you? What's the thing that's telling you to let go? And I'm going to tell you, a lot of times we Christians, we let go before the blessing comes. We, we let go because, you know, the devil convinces us, well, you know, God's just punishing you. Or the devil convinces us, well, you're not good enough to hang on to God. Or the devil convinces you, you fill in the blank. And you have to get to a point like Jacob got to that point. I will not let you go. You see, this is the, the challenge and the test. God, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me. And everything in you is telling you that you don't have a right to hang on to the blessings of God. It's a lie. See, how could Jacob hang on to God despite all his hang-ups? It's very simple. <laughs> he took God at his word. He hung on to God and he hung on to the promises, though he was weak, 
though he was wounded, though everything that he had done, he deserved. You understand, he deserved the punishment. He deserved to have his brother come and attack him. He deserved to have his father-in-law chasing him. He deserved all that, but he said, God... You have promised that through me, the covenant of, of life will come through my lineage. God, you have promised that you would bless me. God, you had promised that you would make a great nation through me. God, you promised deliverance for me. God, you promised, I will not let you go. And all the voices are screaming at him, you don't deserve this. You don't even earn this. You don't, you'll never have this favor. You're going to be destroyed and you're going to be planted in the ground before this night is over. God, I will not let you go. Let go of me. What are you doing? Hang on. You're dead. I will not let you go. That is the voice of the overcomer. You see, Jacob hang on to God despite his hangups. And we need to hold on to the one thing that qualified Jacob because it qualifies us. You know, I don't know about you, but in our lives as Christians at times, I think that we feel plundered. <laughs> I, feel, I think that we feel like I've been robbed. Do you, you feel like you've been robbed of the blessing of God? You know, God has promised blessing after blessing after blessing in our lives as believers and followers. And yet we look at our lives and we're like, I don't feel or see that blessing happening in my life. What is going on? And, and you know, we feel defeated and we shrink back and God is saying, don't shrink back. It's in this hour that you must learn to hang on and to hold on to God's promises and say, I will not let you go. Maybe you feel like you're trapped in a pit, church. You feel like you're trapped in a pit because of your sin, because of your compromise, because of things that you've done. And you say, well, I'm not worthy. I, I can't qualify for the blessing of God. No wonder my life's going astray. Look at all the junk in my life. Look at all the garbage in my life. And what are you going to do about it? How are you going to be free from it if you can't hang on to God? You need to get that in your spirit saying, I won't let you go, God. My only freedom from the pit of sin is to hang on to you. I can't climb out of this pit without you, God. You may be in a prison of unbelief or a prison of, of dark, despairing thoughts in your heart and your soul. It's not a time to shrink back. It's not a time to fade away. It's not a time to accept your fate. It's a time to say, God, I will not let you go. I will hang on to you, God, because only in you is the blessing and the life that I need. And there is nothing I can do to earn it. I don't deserve it, but you have given it to me, Lord. Oh, God. Oh, God. See, he changes his name. <laughs> How can he be so brash, so bold? How can he do it? You know, the only one who ever fulfilled the list of Psalm 24 is a man named Jesus. <laughs> He's the only one that ever fulfilled it. He's the only one that had clean hands and a pure heart. He was the only one that was idolless. He was the only one that was a prayer warrior. He was the only one who gave no false testimony. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? No one is worthy except Jesus. Who can walk in his presence? No one but Jesus. Who can stand in God's presence? No one but Jesus. And if I know that as a believer and as a follower and I understand that the covenant of grace that I have entered into, what I've accepted when I've accepted Jesus Christ is that I've accepted the invitation to stand in the presence of God. 
because I can't qualify on my own. I can only qualify because of what Jesus has done. You see, stop and let's read what happens in Psalm 24. After this list just seems to tear me right down to the ground and says, you don't qualify, Greg, but look who qualifies. Look what the next verses say in Psalm 24. Lift up your head, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Who are the gates? Who are the doors? Who are the gates of the temple? Who are the doors? Who are the temple of the Lord? It's you. It's not a building. It's a person. It's people. God has chosen you to be his dwelling place. And he's saying to you, stop looking to the ground. Stop looking like you don't, you, you know, you, oh, I'm so, ooh, oh, ooh, you're so unworthy. You are unworthy. Get over it. You're not going to be worthy tomorrow based on your own efforts. You're only worthy because of the king of glory. And he says, lift up your eyes, lift up your heads, you gates, you ancient doors. Who may come in that the king of glory may come in? Who is this king? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory might come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Selah. Stop, pause, and consider this. Jesus has made a way for people who have all kinds of hang-ups to hang on to God. Hallelujah. Give him a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Do you hear me? Do you hear me, Jacob generation? Do you hear me, you who fall down on everything? Do you hear God saying, open up your eyes, lift up your heads, open up your hearts, receive from me the power, the life, the grace, the anointing to overcome this world. This is the inheritance of the believer. This is who you are. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. It's time to stop looking at yourself incessantly. Sin focuses all its attention on you as the solution. The Holy Spirit <laughs> focuses on Jesus as the solution. Amen? In hanging on to God, look at what happened to Jacob. His situation changed, and more importantly, he changed. Religion says the opposite. <laughs> If I change these things, then God will come in. If I change these things, then God will accept me. If I work harder and I stop smoking, God will love me then. No! He loves you in spite of smoking. He loves you in spite of your brokenness and your sin. And actually, the only way out of your sin, the only way out of your issues is to stop trying to fix them yourself, stop trying to cover them, stop putting perfume on your sinful, dead na nature, and cry out to God to change you. That's it. That's your only hope, church. 18 of you are convinced, and I'm going to keep preaching. He says, what's your name? Do you understand? God is like, dude, you need to let go of me because if you see me, 
when it turns daylight, it's not going to go well for you. But God's, the Bible says he would not, he couldn't out-wrestle the man. He wouldn't let him go. He wouldn't let him go. I will not. You can see this guy laying on the ground, hanging on to the hem of his garment. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And just to show him how weak he actually is, the wrestler touches his hip and literally disjoints his hip. <clears throat> I'm not going to let you go. Dude, I could plant you in eternity. You have no idea who you're wrestling with. But because you wrestled with God and you survived, I'm going to change your name. You're no longer the con man or the supplanter or the deceiver. You are Israel. You are God rules, one who strives with God. You are a prince or a princess of God. I'm changing your name. Church, listen to me. Stop trying to change yourself or your situation with yourself and hang on to God and cry out to God and hold on for all your worth and keep holding on when everything tells you, you don't wor you're not er earning this, you're not worthy of this, hang on to God. Listen to me, I need the church, we need the church, I need to as a pastor right now. Never before have we lived in a society or a time in the world where the church needs to hang on to God like never before. I'm telling you, Canada is desperate for the church to hang on to Jesus right now. It, we can't just be polite anymore. We have got to hang on to God. I'm not talking about going on social media and berating the prime minister and doing, I'm talking about hanging on to God and saying, God, change our nation. If a people who are called by your name, God, will humble themselves and seek your face and pray, God, and turn from their wicked ways, Lord, you'll heal our land, God. We will hang on to you in this hour, Lord God. When darkness seems to be winning, you know, Georgina sent me she, a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. By the way, I had a whole sermon prepared on Wednesday. It was wonderful. It was a really nice sermon. And Wednesday night, God said, no, you're not preaching on that. You're preaching on this. I said, oh, God. Oh, that's a lot of work for me. <laughs> and Georgina gives me this word, and I get, and Luke is up and prays, and he prays the scripture for the, about the person that I'm going to, and God is speaking to me the whole time. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll change my sermon. I'll change my sermon. I'll change my sermon, God. Do you understand? Georgina said, you know, Canada right now, I just see God is sending a fire down to cleanse this nation, to cleanse this nation. And then he's throwing seeds of righteousness. And they were like little lights just springing up all over the land. And I'm telling you right now, you're the little lights. You're the little lights. In an hour when things seem chaotic and, and under crisis is all around us, God is saying, church, now's your time. Not because you're all that because I'm all that. It's my hour. You know, we need to believe for Canada, church. We need to believe for Alberta. And it's not a political change. I'm it's not a political change that's going to save Canada. It's not. It's not a political change that's going to save Alberta. It's a heart change in the people. Of, and it starts with the people of God. Some of you, I've really felt burdened. You're believing for unsaved family members, and some of your family members and some of your friends, man, they're dancing on the edge of hell. They know God, but they've turned too far away, and you're like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? You need to hang on to God. 
And you need to say, God, I'm not going to let you go until I see my children and my children's children in the house of the Lord. God, I'm not going to let you go. And everything in you is going to be screaming against that. Do you understand that? Some of you need to pray for, I need to pray for, and believe God for healing. You know, you need to hang on to God and say, God, I'm not letting you go. Your word says, God, your word says, God, your word says. And I'm telling you, every circumstance, everything will press against you to say, ah, ha, ha, God's a liar. God's a God is not a liar. His word is real. And it's greater than any word given in this world. Some of you need to believe for deliverance today. You need to believe to be set free from something that's been nagging and holding you back and a fear and a darkness and a brokenness. I don't care what it is. God doesn't care what it is. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. You need to hang on, church. You know, we're, build, we're believing for a new building. It's crazy. We're believing God how we're going to pay for the millions of dollars that we need, God. We need to hang on to God like we've never hung on to God. And we need to say, God, you're going to finish the work that you started. God, we're in for the long run. We're in all the way, God. 100%, God. We're going to see the house of the Lord finish in this hour, God. Because, Lord, there are people that need to find their way home to the Father's house and to live as disciples who care and are free of the bondage and addiction of this world, God. We are going forward, church. He says, how can we do that? The Bible says, let us then approach the throne of grace with boldness. That we might find mercy in our time of need. Church, when do you need mercy? When you've done everything wrong. You don't need mercy when you've done everything right. You need mercy when you blew it. You need mercy when you had the worst fight of your life coming to church this morning. By the way, it probably happened to several families because dragging their kids here early was definitely causing some friction, I'm sure, for many of you. <laughs> Do you understand, guys? God says, come boldly into my throne room that you might receive in your time of need. I asked them to sing that song. I'm going to ask the band to come back right now. We're going to sing it again. This is how we're going to conclude the service today. Some of you just need to start standing up and hanging on. You need to stop letting the devil make excuses. You need to stop saying, well, I don't, I'm not worthy. I'm not good. You're, you're not good enough, and you're not worthy, and you're never going to be good enough or worthy without Jesus, ever. There isn't one millisecond where you're worthy of what God has done. That's what makes it grace. And that's what makes it amazing. Amen? The least of the least, the most pathetic, you picked me, God. Yep. Now hang on. Now that doesn't give you an excuse. Listen to me now. It doesn't say that you get to hang on to having unclean hands and an impure heart and you can just say whatever you want. Oh, God loves me. No, no, it's saying hang on so I change that filthy attitude in your heart. Be honest about your brokenness and your separatedness and all the junk that's in your life. Just say, God, man, I am so, wow, not like you. Would you change me, God? 
Because you said I get a right to hang on because of what the king of glory has done. And I'm lifting up my head. I'm lifting up the gate. And I'm letting him in. Amen? So just bow your head for a moment. In a few minutes, you're going to take communion. And communion symbolizes that you're in common union with Christ. And because you're in common union with Christ, you have been judged worthy by God to stand in his presence. The only qualification is that you are honest about where you are unworthy. That's called repentance. Where there's doubt that you lay it before the Lord. Where there's fear, you lay it before the Lord. Where there's unbelief, you lay it before the Lord. Where there's sin, you lay it before the Lord. And then you partake of that communion and you say, God, you've made me worthy because of what Jesus has done. We're going to do that in a moment. But if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor Greg, man, I, as a believer, I, I've followed God, but man, I just feel so disconnected from him. I just feel like I've, I've blown it so bad. How can, he, how can he take me back? How can, how can I have that kind of faith and trust in him? And I'm going to speak to you first. If you're here and that's you and you're saying, I just need to come home to the Father in a new way, in a fresh way. And stop letting the devil lie to me and the excuses to flood my heart. I need to just surrender to him fresh and anew today. Raise your hand up with me if that's you. Yes, 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 yes. Many, many hands over them. Some of you are saying, you know, I, I work so hard at having clean hands and a pure heart, but I know that I fall down and help me to turn away from trusting in myself and more and more to trusting in God. If that's you, you're working your head off to try and please God and God's like, stop fighting for the blessing and rest in the blessing. You may put your hand up again from the first time, but if you need to put your hand up for that one, put your hand up. Yes, lots, lots of hands. Yes. Maybe you're here today and, I'm, you know, whatever you're believing for, whatever you need to hang on to God for, there's something that you need to hang on to God for right now that you've let go of. And, and maybe it's a, a family member. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's something. Just God is saying, will you hang on to me for that thing? If that's you, raise your hand. Yes, again, lots of hands. Thank you, Lord. And for our new church to be built, can we all just raise our hand and say, God, we're going to hang on to you. We're going to hang on to you, God. We're going to do what we can, but we're going to see what you're going to do, Lord. Thank you, church. You know what we're going to do now? You're going to stand to your feet. The last person I'm going to speak to is somebody here that does not know you. Stand to your feet, everybody. You can look around. You know, the reason I'm doing this like this is because for some of you, you actually need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ that is public. All of us do, actually. So you know what? Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I don't know this God, but I want to know him and I want to hang on to him. You know, Jesus Christ died for you that you might be qualified to come and to hang on to God. And if that is you here today, I want you to raise your hand with everybody looking. Don't worry about it. Yes, 
Others, yes. Are there others? Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for raising your hand and trusting the Lord. Let's give them a hand, church. Amen.